0: The world waited in awe and wonder. It waited for God to remember, for the hungry to be filled, for promises to be fulfilled, for the rising sun to shine in the darkness. And then it was time. An old married couple, an angel and a young woman who had found favor with God readied themselves for the rescue. The Most High was coming to lead us all from death to peace. Chapter 9. However, we skipped over, as I told you earlier this year, parts of the earliest Gospels, chapters 1 and 2, so that we could use them for our Christmas series. Today, I'm standing on a Sunday, actually, here in Nazareth, where, supposedly, Mary was here in her bedroom, Uh, just at the level below me and behind me uh, where an angel appeared to her and told her that she would be the mother of the Christ child. Today we begin a sermon series that will take us through those earlier chapters, at least through chapter 1, and we'll talk about the birth of Christ and the announcement of that birth and the birth of John the Baptist. We're going to look at two songs, the song of Mary Mary and the song of Zechariah. We're going to start the series here in Nazareth, but we'll finish the series the next three weeks down near Jerusalem at a place called Ein Kerem, where Zechariah and Elizabeth lived. We are told though that this is the place where the angel Gabriel came and made that wonderful announcement. I'd like to read just a couple of verses, I'll read the rest of the text to you in a moment, but I'd like to read just a couple of verses to you now from Luke chapter one, beginning with verse 26. It says, in the sixth month. Now, the sixth month would be the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town of Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And of course, that's the beginning of this incredible announcement that she would be the mother of the Christ child. Today we're going to study that announcement, her response, and then we'll look at the rest of the story as John the Baptist is born and what happens with his story as well. We are going to do something a little different for our Christmas series. Sam already mentioned that at the beginning, Jason over in the FLC, but uh, we're, we're going to do a prequel. I know some of the movie series have done the same with the prequel. We're going to do one that was long before any of the movies, right? This is, this is God's prequel. What we do with Christmas series usually is we go right to Luke 2 and we study that famous story that many of us can quote portions of it at least. But there is a story that precedes it. In fact, four stories we're going to read that precede it that Some of us don't know at all. Some people shared with me that last night they didn't know some of these stories. And uh, some of us know very little when when you compare it to the Christmas story. So we're going to go back and do something, like I said, just a bit different. Next year we'll get to the actual Christmas story. We are working our way in a a two-and-a-half-year study through the Gospel of Luke. But I'm saved. I've saved these two portions. The end of chapter 1, the beginning of chapter 2 for our two Christmas seasons. Today we're going to start a story about Mary and the angel Gabriel that, again, you may know, but I want to take it apart for you today. I want to show it to you. I must have read it, it would not be exaggerating to say dozens of times this week. And as I read it, I kept seeing things that just amaze me, and I hope they will you today. I, I hope that this whole season is all in wonder. I had several people tell me over the last few weeks that, you know, that series in transition as we're getting ready to head to Jerusalem, it was pretty um, in your face. And I I hope that when we come to church we'll be challenged and, and stretched. I mean, that's a good thing, but but maybe not every week. I don't want you crawling out of the sanctuary, kind of beaten up after services. And so, you know, this, this series is hopefully, again, a little bit challenging, but but more the sense that you'll just see the awe and wonder of God and the Christmas story. Now, if you have your Bibles, will you turn with me to Luke chapter 1? We're going to start reading with verse 26 in a moment. Before we do that, I want to share with you two things that I'd like to emphasize in this series. Number one is simply, every part of the Christmas story is filled with awe and wonder. I know you think about the shepherds in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night, and the angels appearing to them in the heavens or you think about the star that led the wise man and you go wow that's all in wonder but but there's a lot more all in wonder that precedes that and i want you to see that secondly the christmas story is a reminder of god's perfect plan fulfilled in the lives of faithful not perfect but faithful people and it reminds me how god uses us and if we are faithful we don't have to be perfect but if we're faithful to him and follow him, he can use us in amazing ways. And we'll see that today in the life of a young lady whose name is Mary. I'd like to read the entire story to you. Follow along as I read. If you have your Bibles or your sermon notes, it's also on the screen. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mara in Hebrew, or Mary, as we say it, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled, terrified at his words, and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Yeshua. That was his name that she called him, that everybody who knew him called him. Later, we, it was translated into Greek, and we came up with Jesus. And, and so either is right. But in this case, she, the angel would have said Yeshua. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants. Jacob's descendants simply means Israel. He will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be Mary asked the angel since I am a virgin The angel answered the holy spirit will come upon you the power of the most high will overshadow you so that the holy one born to you will be called the son of god even elizabeth your relative is going to have a child in her old age and he and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month For the word for no word from god will ever fail I am the lord's servant Mary answered May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Now I want to show you first of all the context of the story because without that I don't think it means as much. And then I want to focus on the conversation between an angel and this young lady by the name of Mary. The context. Back on February the 15th of this year, 2015, I preached to you the story of a guy by the name of Zechariah going into the temple... And when he got into the temple, by the way, the only time in his life as a priest he would probably ever have the chance to light the incense. And every day somebody goes in, but you only get the chance once in a lifetime. And his once in a lifetime experience turned out to be one where he met an angel, an angel standing there. The guy's name was Gabriel. The angel was standing there and spoke to Zechariah and said to Zechariah, you and your wife ch- passed childbearing years, but you will have a son. Zechariah didn't believe it, and he asked a question, and he was made mute, unable to speak for nine months. We'll talk about that again in two weeks from today. Now, I know you remember that sermon, probably remember every point, maybe even have your notes with you from February. Right. Yeah, I, I don't remember it either. I had to go back and look at it and think about what I said, because that's, that day I said, this Christmas season, we're going to continue the story. And so today, we're picking it up at the next verse. Six months later is the next verse. Now, the time is six months after the story of Zechariah and the angel. Good old Zechariah hasn't said a word in six months. Ladies, would you like that? Nine months before the birth of Christ... Mary has not conceived. And traditionally, historians, scholars tell us, probably around 4 B.C. Some think around 6 B.C., others around 2 B.C. But I I think kind of the weight of opinion lands around 4 B.C. And, And for some of you, this is kind of puzzling because you can say, how did Jesus come before Jesus, before Christ? And that's because of an error in putting the calendars together, both ...in 600 A.D. and then during the time of the Middle Ages... ...when the dates were miscalculated. So Jesus was actually born four years before Jesus... ...which doesn't make any sense to us, right? The context of the the place is simply... the, ...the place is Nazareth in Galilee of Israel. Nazareth is the town. Galilee is the state. Israel is the country. Fort Wayne is the town. Indiana is the state... USA is the country. We understand that. Sometimes we don't understand that in other cultures. Israel is the country. Here it is. Israel is small, so it only has three states. They're not even called states, but we'll call them that for our purposes. And the northernmost one is called the Galilee. That's this one right here. And right there in the Galilee is this town called Nazareth. And actually, in Hebrew, it's called Nazareth. Netzeret. Netzeret in Hebrew means a branch. A stick falls off a tree and you pick it up, you've got a netzeret, a branch. Now, why would the name of the town mean anything to us? Well, because many believe that's very significant. You see, Isaiah said, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots a branch will bear fruit. Now, the translators, even though the Hebrew has no capital letters, The translators, for our sake, capitalize the B in branch because they want you to know that that's not just any old branch, that is God Himself, that's Jesus. So Jesus is the prophesied branch, Nazareth, who was born in Nazareth. Now let me take it a step further. If you go to Israel today and someone asks you what your belief is and you say, I'm a Christian, they'll say, Oh, a notary. Don't get offended. Notary means one who belongs to the Nazareth. Notary, Nazareth. So you are a notary of the Nazareth from Nazareth. You see, it's all connected. By the way, one more thing. Nevertheless, Isaiah nine: there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress in the past. He humbled the land of Zebulun, Naphtali—that's Galilee—but in the future he will honor Galilee of the nations. God will someday, says Isaiah in the Old Testament. Make the Galilee very special. How? Well, he will honor them by the way of the sea. Now, note again that that's capitalized. Capitalized means it's a proper title. It's the name of a road. That road is called the Via Maris. That's what the Romans called it. The way of the sea. And that starts down in Egypt and goes all the way up through Israel and goes right through Nazareth. All the way down to Capernaum where Jesus lived and ministered. So... All of this story comes together in Christ. He's the one who comes as the branch, born in the branch, lived along the way of the sea. The people in the story, there are six. It's funny, you read a little story like this and you don't realize there are six different names, proper names. Here they are. Number one is Elizabeth. She's six months pregnant. She is carrying a child that you will later meet as John the Baptist. She hasn't had a conversation with her husband for six months, right? Because he's been silent. She is a relative of Mary, and I'll explain that in a moment. And she doesn't live in Nazareth. She lives down near Jerusalem in a little town called Ein Karim. I spent a whole day there just a few weeks or a few months ago. Did some video there and just kind of poked around, kind of visited the various areas there in that little village. Village is still there today, and some believe the actual house ...of Zechariah and Elizabeth is still somewhere in one of those churches or areas. We know the the exact little town. That's where she lived. Then there's God. When you read a story like this, you have a tendency to skip over God... ...because God's kind of the theme of the whole Bible. but, But if you stop and look what God does, you've got a lot of verbs here. Just in this story, you have God sending an angel, favoring Mary... ...remaining among them, fathering the Christ child... Giving his blessings, overshadowing Mary, keeping his word, and he is eternal. Now, I love it that we have so many books of the Bible to study and learn about who God is. But I also want you to note here that if you had nothing else of the Bible but this little story, you would know enough about God to worship him. This is amazing. After God, there's a guy by the name of Gabriel, who we've met back in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, possibly a couple other places in the Old Testament. We met him in Matthew, we're meeting him again in Luke. Angel is the one who delivers God's most important messages. We met him earlier in this chapter, again, back in February, I read these words to you. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God. So he didn't even want us to wonder which angel it was, he tells us, I am Gabriel. Joseph, Joseph is the fiancé of Mary, and he's come through the line of David. In other words, if Israel would have had a king at this point in history, not the Roman Empire, but if they'd had their own king, Joseph would have been in line to be king. He had the perfect genealogy. He was a fiancé. Now, when I say fiancé, that's kind of an American Western thought. So, let me explain it in their culture. In their culture, what would happen is when, and I know this is almost appalling, but when a girl was 12 or 13 years old, her parents would pledge her to a young man. Usually, the man was a bit older. That's why we believe Joseph might have been 10 years older than Mary. Mary was probably 12 or 13, and her parents pledged her to a man. Now, once you're pledged in Israel, you're called husband and wife. You're not called fiances you You're actually called husband and wife. Now, you don't live together. You don't have relations. In fact, you each live with your own parent for another year while everybody gets ready for the big preparations of the wedding and so forth. Get the house ready. But you're called husband and wife. If you'd ever want to break the engagement, you'd have to do it by a divorce. That's unusual to us because divorce only happens after someone is married in our our culture. So the pledging is very, very important. He's pledged to her. He's committed. It's life. But Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law, says Luke 2. In other words, Joseph was a very faithful man. In Luke 4, he's called the father of Jesus. And that's what people thought, of course, because they didn't know that God was the real father. And after that, you'll not find Joseph's name again in the Bible. Why? Well, because he had to die young. You see, had Joseph lived when Jesus was proclaiming to be the king of Israel, his dad would have been the rightful heir to the throne. And so we know his father died and died young. And that's why at the cross, Jesus had to tell John to take his mother home and take care of her because her husband was already gone. Joseph had a rough life. Jesus, his name is Yeshua. That's his real name. Yeshua was a common name. Don't think it was only Jesus who had that name. It's common. Yeshua means Jehovah, Yahweh saves. It's proper. Yahweh saves, or you might say Jehovah saves. It's he is the soon-to-be Son of God. He's the little boy who will be laying in the manger, but not yet. Not been conceived yet. He is, and I don't want you to miss this. He is great he will be great who do you call great in the Bible nobody only God now let me show you that to prove it back in the earlier part of Luke chapter 1 we learned about John the Baptist and you see what it says right here at the bottom of the screen he will be great in the sight of the Lord there's a lot of people who are great in the sight of the Lord maybe us as well not because of our goodness because of his We might even hold each other in great esteem and consider each other great in our sight. But who is truly great without any little phrase behind it? Just great. Only God. So this passage tells you that Jesus is God. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. He will be the future, the final King of Israel. And He is eternal. He is forever. Mary... Her name is Mara. That means bitter or maybe translated bittersweet. She is a virgin. Now when I say virgin, the word is parthenos or parthenos. Those of you who've studied science know what uh, parthenogenesis is. The idea of uh, reproduction by a single egg done in like certain frogs or whatever. That's the word here, parthenos. I want to pause and make sure you understand this. A year ago... We went out to lunch with some people from our church after, after church one Sunday, and we were waiting in line at a restaurant and waited quite a while, and there was a, another couple families around in front of us, and I talked to one gentleman a little bit, and then he began to talk to another friend of his, and as they were talking, they were talking about Christmas, and they, he said, you know, what you have to understand is, in the Bible, we don't know that Mary was a virgin, because the word can mean virgin or a young woman. I like it when I overhear those things. (laughs) Because I said, Oh, that's interesting. Now, again, I'd already talked to him, so I wasn't being rude, I don't think. I said, That's interesting. I said, Which word? He goes, Well, the word in the Bible. I said, Okay, well, like which word in the Bible? He goes, The original word. I said, Like the Hebrew word? He goes, I'm not sure. I said, Well, let me tell you. The Hebrew word (laughs) is the word Alma. And Alma means a young woman or a virgin, it can mean either. You, have, you can only know by context. But when you get to the New Testament, the word is parthenos, or parthenos. And that has one meaning. Here's the one meaning. A young man, a young woman, who's never had relations. It has no other meaning. It means someone who has never had sexual relations. That's all it means. It can mean nothing else. I said, that's what the New Testament tells us about Mary. He says, so she was a virgin virgin I said she was a virgin virgin and he goes that that's hard to grasp and I said I love it I love you hear you say that he goes why I said well too many Christians heard that all their lives and they go yeah she was a virgin like it like it happens every day it never happened in the history of the world even to now it's never happened except this once and when you read that she's a virgin you ought to go wow because that doesn't happen But it did here. She was pledged to the man named Joseph. I already explained that. She was a relative of Elizabeth. We don't know which kind of relative. Unfortunately, years ago, the King James translated this word, Singanes, and they translated it as cousin. And so everybody's always said Elizabeth and Mary are cousins. Not true. We just don't know. In fact, probably not cousins, but some other relative. We also learn that her dad's name is Halai. We know she possibly has a sister whose name is Salome. We We know nothing more about her. That's it. And there's so much we don't know. We don't know how old she was. We guess when she got married, she was somewhere between 14 and 16. Young ladies don't get any ideas here. That was that culture. We don't know what time of day the angel came to her and spoke to her. We don't know where the meeting happened. I'll tell you, this is where we Americanize it so badly. I hear people say, I've heard the story that, you know, well, one night after Mary was getting ready for bed, she was standing near her walk-in closet with all her clothes and she went over to her desk where her iPad was laying and the (laughs) angel walked, you know, you almost hear it like it's, you know, a modern story. No, no, no. First of all, Mary had no bedroom. Nobody did in those days unless you were very, very wealthy. Everybody in the family slept, slept in the same room, one part of the house. That's all you had. So it didn't happen late at night by herself in her room. We do believe it happened indoors because of one phrase here that says that the angel came in unto her, which indicates indoors. That's, I mean, other than that, we don't know anything. All we know, it's a big surprise. So let me explain to you the conversation that takes place. It's three parts to the conversation. Number one, Gabriel starts with a greeting and a blessing. The greeting is, "Greetings, hello, how you doing? Hi, hey. You pick. I, we don't know. He just said what you say. Hey." And then he says, the Lord be with you. Now that's just a common blessing. At the end of every email I write, almost every email I write, I I type the word blessings, Pastor Denny. Because I I just want to, I guess, offer blessings. I want to bless you. And that's simply what he did. Hey, blessings to you. That's all he says. And she is terrified. ...greatly troubled, that would be translated terrified by him... ...and she wonders what kind of a greeting. Now that simply means she knows he's an angel. And if you read the Old Testament, which is all she had... ...she'd go to to, uh, synagogue every Friday night and she heard the scriptures read. She knew when angels came to, to greet you it usually wasn't good news... So she wonders, oh, no. When you go to the doctor and you worry about what kind of results you're going to get back and you're worried that it could be bad news, that's her worry here. Oh, no, what kind of greeting is this? And he says, oh, by the way, before I go on, I just want to give you a little quiz here. How do you think Mary knew that he was an angel? He hasn't introduced himself. He hasn't said, I'm an angel, I'm Gabriel. He just says, hey, blessings. She's terrified. How does she know he's an angel? I'll give you a minute to think about that, see if you can come up with the right answer. I should play the final Jeopardy music, but I'll just say done. The right answer is I don't have a clue, okay? If you have a good idea, let me know. Now, I I should say I do have a clue, but that's all I have because we don't know For instance, you you might have thought, well, he had wings. No, he didn't have wings. No angel in the Bible has wings except the ones that have six wings, and they're scary. And Gabriel's not one of those kinds. Those are seraphim and cherubim. uh, Gabriel's a messenger angel, and no other angel in the Bible has wings. No angel in the Bible has two wings. That's Hallmark. That's your little angel on your nativity set that has wings just to identify him as the angel. But no angels have wings. How do we know? We don't know. Let me just say this. She is terrified at him. And I would suggest that this same Mary, 30 years later, will go to the tomb of her son, and she will see a man whose appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. Later, we read in Mark that his clothes were dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could even bleach them. That's an interesting description whiter than you could bleach them. So in other words, white, unworldly white. So my guess is when she sees this guy, he is unworldly white. Because the angels of God always appear in their whiteness. That's my guess. I don't know the answer. But Gabriel tells her, first of all, don't be afraid. When when you, when you speak to someone and you scare them, you might frighten them. The first thing we often say is don't be afraid. And then he says, you have received God's favor. Now, let's really make sure we get this one because this is so misunderstood. That doesn't mean you are God's favorite. That doesn't mean God is doing you a favor. It doesn't mean, please understand this, it doesn't mean you are more special than other girls. Are you ready for this? For some of you, it's hard to grasp this. Mary was no more special than any other young lady in Israel who was also obedient. Now, she was obedient. She was a Followed the Lord, loved the Lord. You've got you to give her so much credit for being a young lady with such maturity. But there were many ladies like this. She, she had no qualities of her own that, people, that God said, Oh, okay, well, of all the ladies in the world, this is my pageant. She's the one. No, nothing like that. In fact, the Bible indicates she was like all the rest of us. Even doubtful at times. What does favor mean? Favor is simply the word. In the, in, in the Greek language, it's simply this word charis. Keras. Keras means grace. Uh, some of you are familiar with here in Fort Wayne, we have the rescue mission. And one of the por- parts of the rescue mission is a house for women called the Keras house. That's this word. It, it's grace. We are, it doesn't mean all the women here are the favorites. It means everyone here is being offered grace. Like all of us here are being offered grace. This week, if you got to spend time with family... Maybe with good health. Maybe seeing family and celebrating with lots of food. You got to experience God's grace. Not because you deserve any of it. But that's because you have such a God who offers grace to all of us. The word grace is often remembered with an acrostic. I've taught you this before. Let me review it. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what grace is. God's riches at Christ's expense. It means you did nothing to deserve it. What did Mary do to deserve being the mother of the Christ child? Absolutely nothing. This passage says, it's because of God's grace, Mary, not because of anything you have done. And she has no problem with that. She goes, oh, let me go on. He says, she was told that she would conceive, have a baby. She was given the baby's gender, name, description, occupation, and purpose. Can you imagine going and getting an ultrasound that could tell you all that? I mean, today we go for the gender, but can you imagine never having to look through a baby name book or think about a baby name because the angel said, "Ah, oh, this is what you'll name him, and he will be a boy. First of all, you will conceive. Then he will be a boy, and this is what he will be like, and he will be great, and he will be a king, and can you imagine getting all of that even before you're conceiving? But that's what God offers her out of his grace. Mary's puzzled at how something like this could happen. After all, she is a Parthenos. Now, by the way, she doesn't use the word Parthenos. She uses a phrase that's even stronger. How could that be? Let me show you. I'll read it in the King James. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? I have never been intimate with a man. I have never had relations with a man, never in my life. Now, by the way, you might tell that to your friends or your parents, but you don't tell that to an angel unless you're pretty sure you're right, right? Because the angel's been sent from God, and he knows the right answer. And the angel never goes, I don't know about that. No, the angel doesn't question her, does it? In fact, he affirms that. Was this girl a virgin virgin? Absolutely. That's the point of the story. It is awe and wonder. She's a virgin. By the way, one little thing that that came to me this week as I was studying this is, you know, back in February, I, I know you don't remember maybe the sermon, but you know the story. Zechariah asked the angel, how can this be? And Zechariah was struck dumb, unable to speak for nine months. How come Mary wasn't punished? She said, how can this be? Well, I think it involves motive of the heart. I mean, I think Zechariah was mocking maybe or, you know, asking in an in a inappropriate way. Mary was just truly asking. I don't know that. I'm guessing. But here's what I really believe. I believe our station in life has a lot to do with how God responds to us. And here's a guy by the name of Zechariah who is a priest. He's been a pastor all his life. He teaches the Bible. He knows the Bible. He tells people about God. He tells people to have faith in God. He preaches stories about the angels. And when an angel comes to him, he goes, don't believe it. But a young lady who's 12 or 13 years of age who hasn't had much life experience, she's given a little more grace here. And so the angel is going to answer her question. How can this be, she says. And Gabriel explains how. Let me pause right there. How is, going, how is she going to get pregnant? This is the only place you'll find this in the Bible. 66 books of the Bible, you will not find a description like this anywhere else. How does a virgin get pregnant? He doesn't say to her, yeah, you'd never understand it if I told you. No, he actually says, this is exactly how it will happen. Now, I still don't understand it, and you don't either, but let me read it to you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you, so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Isn't it interesting that he, he, he answers her? He gives her the how. By the way, a couple things you should see here. You've got the Holy Spirit. You've got the power of the Most High, the Father. And you've got the Son. You've got the Trinity in that one verse. The triunity of God. That's powerful to see. I, I look at this and I realize that there's nothing here sexual, crude, you see, God doesn't have to deal with the ways that man deals. God just speaks and things happen. So his overshadowing of her was just his almighty power. He tells her how. Then he gives her an illustration. He, she goes, How? I can't understand this. And so now he gives her an illustration. He goes, you know, your relative Elizabeth? Well, she is way beyond the time that women can have babies. But she has she's having a baby, her first. She's having a baby in her old age. So Mary, if Elizabeth, if God can do this to Elizabeth, he can do this for you. Oh, and by the way, one more thing. He says that his word will never fail. He gives her a promise. If God says this, you can take it to the bank. It's not an 80% chance this will happen. This is a 100% chance. Mary goes, okay. Just that quickly. Mary accepts without any further hesitation. Without any more questions. How many questions would you have asked? How long would you have waited? Would you have said to the angel, I might have said, because I'm, I'm, I like to think about things. I might have said, can you get back to me in a week? Nothing like that. She, she goes, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be, to me be fulfilled. And then I like this little phrase. Luke wouldn't have had to include it. Then the angel left her. It's done. He doesn't have to stick around and make sure she's really there. No, he's gone. She is all the way with God. If that's what God wants for her. By the way, I don't know if you've ever sat around and thought in your life about what it would have been like to be Mary. I know we hold her up as a a wonderful person, and she was. She was a godly woman. But I don't know if you ever thought about how hard her life is. You know, that wedding she was waiting to have with Joseph where he would come and swoop her up and take her under the veil. His banner over me is love. Never happened. Once she's pregnant, that won't ever... She'll never have a wedding day. She'll never have a honeymoon. That seven-day event that every other Jewish girl gets to have. She won't have relations with her husband after he marries her. For a whole year. She will be ridiculed by the people in town. That's the girl who said God got her pregnant. (laughs) She'll hear that all her life. People will mock her. When she is not very old, her young husband will die because it has to happen. That's God's way. And then when her son is only 33 years old, he'll hang on a cross and his blood will drip out. And she'll stand there under it and watch him weeping was not an easy life. Now, I don't think she knew all of that, maybe hardly any of that. But you see, that doesn't matter to her. She goes, okay, if that's what God wants, I'm in. So I close with two thoughts. Thought number one, Gabriel's words that no word of God would ever fail, to me, are a wonderful promise. I mean, you say, well, he might have guessed you're going to conceive. Most young ladies conceive you're going to have a baby. Oftentimes you have a baby if you conceive. And, and, and your baby will be a boy. Well, you got a 50-50 shot on that one, right? Maybe the angel got lucky. Oh, no, as you read the rest of the prophecies, I mean, they're word for word, day to day. I mean, hour to hour. God hasn't missed on one thing ever. And I just love the idea that no word of God ever fails. I love the scriptures because of that. It's the only truth that this world has. Secondly, Mary didn't have to think long about this incredible instant change in her life. And that is astounding to me. She thinks what? Seconds? Moments? Her response says, Whatever God wants for me, that's what I want. How would you have responded? What's your thoughts from this passage of Scripture? If you look over your notes or if you read the scripture one more time, what is it that jumps out to you? I'm going to give you 30 seconds just to take a moment to respond to the message. Our Father, I thank you for this story and for Mary's faithfulness, and I pray for myself and for these, my brothers and sisters in Christ, that when you call us, we would have the same kind of trust and faith, that we would quickly respond whatever you want And Father, I pray that you'll work through us in amazing ways. It's in the name of your Son, our Savior, that we pray. Amen.